0: Page 20, chapter 28, starting at verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. I am with you, and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Beth-El, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Moving down now to chapter 29, starting at verse 14, part B. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give it to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to lie with her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, He took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also, in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl Bila to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Amen.
1: But let's pray now as we come to consider God's word. <clears throat> Father, we want to thank you for your word, that your word uh, enlightens the darkness of our minds and our hearts. We thank you, Father God, that your word is, is true and uh, that understood rightly, it is clear, and that it points to Jesus. We pray for ourselves that uh, you would give us humble and contrite hearts that tremble at your word, that uh, in the hearing of your word, that uh, we would be those who uh, put it into action. Father, we pray for the children as they're being taught next door in the hall, that you would be uh, embedding in their minds and their hearts the great truths of the gospel, and that you would bring forth uh, great fruit from that in their lives and in our lives, that we would honour you and that we would serve others with the gospel of Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but this week the cast and the crew of Modern Family have uh, been filming a whole bunch of episodes uh, right here in Australia. Have you noticed that? You haven't noticed it? Look, if you haven't noticed it, it is, and it doesn't mean anything to you then join the club because before this week I'd never even heard of Modern Family but apparently it's a great comedy hit sensation that uh, lots of people in the English speaking world uh, watch, Channel 10 shows it I think every week and it's, uh, it's a um, uh, the genre is a mockumentary that's what they call it because the um, they only use one camera and sometimes the, uh, the characters actually speak directly to the camera, uh, speak directly to the viewers. And it's about a modern family. Uh, I guess they call it a modern family because it's not a traditional family. It's not just mum and dad and the kids. It's a far more complex set of relationships than uh, that uh, typical family. Now, a lot of people love it, uh, not just because it's funny. They love it because it's a show which pushes the boundaries in terms of what we think that a family uh, normally is. Uh, There's a lot of people who don't like it, not because it pushes those boundaries, but they criticise it because it doesn't push those boundaries far enough and they'd like to see it go just a little bit further. So, why are they in Australia? Well, the story goes like this. This uh, modern family are presently on holidays in Australia because one of the characters, Phil, claims to be an Australian. Uh, He reckons that his mother gave birth to him uh, whilst she was on a stopover uh, in Sydney many years ago. And so now the whole modern family have come to Australia in order to help Phil to connect with his Australianness. That's the story. It's a crazy, complex, mixed up family, a modern family just trying to do life in a modern world. I've got to tell you this if you want crazy, if you want mixed up, if you want complex, forget about modern family. <clears throat> Let me introduce you to ancient family. <clears throat> ancient family, because there was an ancient family that lived about 3,700 years ago, an ancient family that makes modern family look very simple and straightforward. <laughs> and of course, I'm talking about the family of the young man that we, we learned about last week. It's the mixed-up complex family of Jacob. Now, Jacob's family, as we're going to see, is complex. It is crazy. It is mixed up. And it's one of those slabs of scripture where I don't know if you've sort of thought about this before, but there's some parts of the Old Testament where you read it and you think to yourself, my goodness, what's this doing in the Bible? (laughs) Uh, How do I make sense of this? I mean, How does this teach me anything about God and about myself and about uh, doing life under God? And I think this family of Jacob's a bit like that. And what we're going to do is we're going to make sense of it. I'm going to show how the Bible actually, uh, why it's in the Bible and how it fits into the whole story of God's plan and purpose. So let's start where we left off last week. Uh, You remember Jacob, don't you? If you could describe his personality, I guess you'd have to say that he was a <clears throat> he was a stay-at-home, I like a roof over my head, mummy's boy kind of personality. Uh, if you could describe his character, uh, you'd have to say that he was a deceiver because he was a guy who was prepared to deceive his own father in order to rip off his own brother, which is why... If you open up your Bibles at Genesis chapter 28, Jacob is now on the run. He's now on the run. And he's on a long journey from uh, where his family lives up to further north to his ancestral uh, region of Haran. Now, allegedly, it's to find a wife. That's what his mum told his dad. She said, I don't want him marrying any of these Canaanite women. Let's send him back to Haran, to get you know, a woman from our own stock. Uh, allegedly, it's to find a wife, but in uh, the main purpose is that he's a fugitive. He's escaping from his brother because his brother now realises that he's been ripped off and his brother, what does he want to do to him? He wants to kill him. So Jacob is now a fugitive. He's on the run. And friends, if you think that's complex... This ancient family has not even yet begun. Uh, He's he's been stripped of the comfort of his home. He's been stripped of the protection of his mother. And in chapter 28, verses 10 through to 22, we now see that God reveals himself personally to this fear-stricken young man. And he does so through a dream. Jacob's on his journey. Uh, The sun has now set. He needs to sleep. He ain't got anywhere indoors to sleep, which would have been hard for Jacob. And he finds a rock, which he uses as a pillow. Now that's desperate, isn't it? A, A rock as a pillow. But yet he does go to sleep. And he has a dream. Now this is the dream. He dreams of a stairway. And the stairway uh, has its base on the earth and the stairway reaches up uh, into heaven. And uh, when you think about it, it's not all that dissimilar to the Tower of Babel in some senses, is it? You know, Babel actually means, the word Babel means uh, gate of heaven, but this is different. It's a stairway from earth to heaven and He sees angels, messengers of God, descending on it, going down the stairway, and other messengers of God going up the stairway. We'll talk a bit more about the dream later. The important thing is that at the top of the stairway is God himself. And God has some promises that he wants to make to Jacob. There's actually two sets of promises. I want to take you through them. Uh, The first set of promises is found in verses 13 and 14. If you care to have a look at that, verse 13 of chapter 29. Um, No, chapter 28. Where are we? Yep, that'll do. Uh, Verse 13. It's talking about the stairway and it says, There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will be spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Now, where have we heard that before? That's the promises to Abraham, isn't it? What are the three things that God promised to Abraham? He promised him a land, a people, and a blessing. And there it is, isn't it? Uh, that God has actually reiterated, that, reiterated those promises to Abraham, now to Jacob. And that, friends, is like a, it's, a, it's like a thread that's woven through the scriptures. We saw it first in Genesis chapter 12 when God cut a covenant with Abraham then uh, in Genesis chapter 15 and then in Genesis chapter 17 and now here again in Genesis chapter 28 these promises of a land a people and a blessing we keep on seeing it don't we And what it tells us here is that God has not forgotten those promises now that's the first set of promises uh, because secondly from the top of the staircase God makes some promises which speak specifically to the situation which Jacob is now finding himself in let me read to you verse 15 God says to Jacob I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you now You see the promises, don't you? What is he he saying? He says, I am with you. I will never leave you. I will bring you back, uh, back home, back to the land. Now, they're great promises. They're true promises because Jacob was getting to know God personally for the very first time. Because you remember last week when he deceived his father, when he got the... um, the, the, uh, the, the meat the, but that he said was actually a, uh, that he'd gone out and hunted for and his father said how come you got it so quickly and he said the Lord your God gave me success and now God is revealing himself personally to Jacob Jacob is getting to know God for the first time and this reassurance I am with you I will never leave you I will bring you home is very reassuring now God has got a fair bit of work to do in Jacob's heart and Jacob wouldn't have known it at the time but it was going to take 20 years before he was ready to come back to the land but the assurance of God's care was profound now when you think about it these promises well these are the same promises that God makes to all of his children aren't they Rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. These are promises that are for all of God's people. And they reflect the promise to Jacob here, I am with you, I will never leave you, I'm going to bring you home. You know, our Lord Jesus, uh, when in John chapter 14, before he left his disciples to go to be with his father in heaven, he said to them, I'm not going to leave you alone. Uh, I'm going to send the comforter, the, the, the Holy Spirit to be with you. I will be with you. And where I'm going, I'm I'm going in order to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring you back home to your heavenly home. And friends, these are the promises that God gives to all of us who trust in Jesus. Now, Jacob had a fair bit to learn about what it meant to trust God because uh, in terms of his relationship with God, these were still just very, very early days. And we see some of that in the way that he responded to the promises that God made. Because if you have a look in verses 20 to 22, having heard the promises of God, what does he do? He does a deal with God. He says, I hear what you're saying, God. I say that you, you, you're saying that you'll, you'll be with me, that you'll never leave me, and that you're going to bring me home. Well, you know, once you've fulfilled all of that, then you will be my God, Right? And done and deal with God, um, and secondly, having experienced the dramatic vision, and you can, we can only, I can imagine it? This dramatic vision of God, this theophany, this vision of God with the staircase, with God at the top of the staircase, uh, is 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 he overwhelmed with uh, in awe of the majesty and the And the love of God, is that how he responds? Well, have a look at verse 17. In verse 17, we see his response. In verse 17, it says, He was afraid and he said, How awesome is this God? Does he say that? No, he says, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. See, he's overawed by the place and not by God. Friends, how easy is it for us to worship a place when we should be worshipping the Lord who reveals reveals himself to us at that place? And so he called it Bethel, which means the house of God. Now, it's early days, isn't it? He's got a lot to learn. But it doesn't take very long before we see God demonstrably caring for Jacob. In chapter 29, Jacob arrives at the region of his ancestral home. And uh, he'd gone there to flee from his brother, but he'd also gone there to find a wife. And he comes to a place which would have been a pretty popular place. Place in the countryside, he comes to a well and it's a well where uh, shepherds uh, bring their sheep in order to water their sheep and there in verse 10 amongst all of these hardened shepherds along comes a shepherdess a young lady and she's later described as being lovely in form and beautiful she's gorgeous more than that she's the daughter of his mother's brother Laban she is the daughter of uncle Laban now the idea of marrying someone who's your cousin isn't doesn't have much traction uh, in our culture and society but in his culture, in his society, that was probably a good thing because it did mean that he was marrying within the family clan and that would have been very acceptable uh, to mum and dad. And so here it is. Uh, But also, I wonder if you've sort of picked up that this actually sounds a little bit like when, remember when Abraham wanted to find a, a wife for Isaac and he sent his... He sent his servant up to the same family region and the the servant came uh, with uh, camels and with gifts and he went to a well, you remember that? And uh, there was a girl there and her name was Rebecca and uh, they went back to her place and Rebecca's brother was Laban and they... He gave some gifts and the deal was done and Rebecca went off to become Isaac's wife. There's similarities here, isn't there? But there's differences as well because uh, Jacob comes uh, not with an entourage. Jacob comes alone. Jacob comes not with gifts. Jacob comes as a fugitive and the... Marriage is going to take some time before it actually happens. Now, <clears throat> the stage is therefore set for uh, a situation which makes uh, modern family sound rather boring. Because uh, in verse, chapter 29, verses 13 through to 30, J- uh, Laban does a Jacob on Jacob. <laughs> Um, I wonder if you've noticed that deception is a little bit of a theme in the book of Genesis. Um, It goes right back to the very beginning, doesn't it? Uh, In the garden when Satan deceived uh, Eve who deceived Adam. Uh, And then Adam and Eve tried to deceive God uh, by hiding from him in the garden. And then we saw in people like uh, Abraham, Abraham was a deceiver as well because he, tr- he passed off his wife Sarah as being his sister in order to save his own skin. Uh, his son Isaac did the same thing with his wife Rebecca, passed her off to be his sister so as to save himself from Abimelech. And uh, Jacob, of course, Jacob, of course, uh, has pulled, uh, pulled the goat skin over the eyes of his father, deceiving him so as to get a blessing. Sin and deception go hand in hand. And deception is when, uh, when we uh, manipulate the truth for our own ends. We are deceived when something which looks like one thing turns out to be something very different to our disadvantage. Uh, Sin and deception, we see it all in the book of Genesis and it tells us about the state of the human heart. Now in in, uh, February 2010, the newspapers reported the story of a Middle Eastern diplomat who had his marriage annulled immediately after the wedding service had taken place. You see, he had only ever seen his bride wearing full Islamic headdress. You know, the whole deal, (laughs) with just the slits for the eyes. He'd seen photographs of her face, but when he lifted the veil to kiss her after the wedding, the girl in the photos was not the same girl that was behind the veil. <laughs> and I'd and have to say he was what he saw was pretty disappointing in comparison to the photos. He'd been deceived, and uh, the marriage was annulled. Now, Jacob had done a deal with Laban, and the deal was that at the end of seven years of work he would get to marry Rachel, who was lovely in form and beautiful. Let's have a look at chapter 29, verse 21 and following. See what happens. He's done his seven years of labor. And then Jacob said to Laban, well, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to lie with her. And so Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came... He took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. And Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, well, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Now, that's probably true. A bit late to tell him now, isn't it, though? Right? After seven years. And he goes on, he says, well, finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Friends, Laban has done a Jacob on Jacob. Jacob, the deceiver, is now having to drink very deeply of his own medicine. He now knows what it feels like, what he did to his dad and his brother. And this is going to cause complexity and suffering in his life. And uh, the, 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 the thing about this, though, is that God is actually going to use that complexity and that suffering uh, in order to to humble Jacob, uh, to strip away his pride and his arrogance and to change him, to be the man that God wants him to be. And so there's an important lesson in this for us because uh, when, when God allows you to suffer, do not simply assume that he has withdrawn his love for you. Because if you're trusting in Jesus, if you're trying to put God first in your life, God will never withdraw from you but rather sometimes he will allow us to suffer and sometimes it will be because of the result of our own sin or the sin of others. But sometimes he will allow us to suffer because he's changing us, he's moulding us. He's actually disciplining us. And it's like as, as Hebrews 12 says, that, uh, that the Lord, like, every, every, like any loving earthly father, the Lord disciplines those he loves. And so we can be assured that suffering does produce um, perseverance and perseverance uh, goes on to produce greater faith and faithfulness in our lives. Anyway, Jacob now finds himself having two wives and two sisters at that. Now I know that some men would, probably fantasize about what it'd be like to have multiple wives. But what we see here is that the story which follows is a story of jealousy, turmoil, and suffering. Leah, the less attractive older sister, uh, is desperate to be loved by her husband, she gives him sons but take a look at the names that she gives her first three sons can I get you to look at verses 31 through to 34 in verse 31 now we're looking at chapter 29 verse 31 when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved he opened her womb but Rachel was barren Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, "'It is because the Lord has seen my misery. "'Surely my husband will love me now.'" That's son number one. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, "'Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, "'he gave me this one too.'" So she named him Simeon. That's son number two again she conceived and when she gave birth to a son she said now at last my husband will be attached to me because i've borne him three sons so she named him leah levi Uh, friends this is really really sad isn't it this is really sad it's there's a certain pathos to it that here's this poor woman she's not she wasn't as she wasn't the choice of her husband She's less attracted. She's not loved by him, and she 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 reflects that in the names that she gives her sons, and she's just hoping that by producing sons, that somehow that's going to uh, develop an attraction, an affection from her from her husband. It's really really sad when you think about it, and uh, but you see the. The issue here is that Leah had sons, but she didn't have love. But Rachel, she had love, but she didn't have sons. Because as it tells us that she was barren. And so family life, ancient family life, this particular family life now becomes a competition between the two wives the two sisters it's a competition for sons and it's a competition for affection and in this contest they both do ungodly things let, let me point out two of the ungodly things which they did first of all uh, there was a custom that if a wife had a maidservant and she didn't have and she was barren that she could actually give her maidservant to her husband and he could go to bed with her and any children produced from that uh, relationship uh, belonged to the wife. And so uh, Rachel uh, did that first and then Leah, when she stopped conceiving, she then gave her maidservant to Jacob as well. And so Jacob Jacob was sleeping with four women uh, in this whole network of relationships. And uh, then secondly, in verse 14, Leah got hold of some mandrakes. Now, uh, mandrakes are plants and uh, they're actually, um, they can be used as hallucinogens. Uh, You use mandrakes and you go a bit, they're like drugs. And in the ancient world, uh, they were also considered to be aphrodisiacs. And so Leah has got these mandrakes and Rachel does a deal with her. She says, look, I'll give you one night uh, in the sack with Jacob uh, if you'll give me some of your mandrakes so that I can use next time it's my turn to go to bed with him. And they do that deal. You see how messy it is? Now eventually, uh, eventually Rachel does give birth to a, uh, to a son and uh, his name is Joseph but uh, it's not because of any mandrakes, it's because as the text says that the Lord opened up her womb and that's how this particular passage finishes off with the birth of Joseph. So It's complex. Now, I've never watched Modern Family on TV. Um, Quite possibly, I never will watch Modern Family on TV. And I have gotta be honest with you, Eragon's got nothing on Ancient Family uh, in terms of the whole soap opera kind of thing. But the thing is that through all of this tangled mess of deception, you know what's happening? God is actually at work. 11 sons. Uh, between the two wives and the two maidservants, 11 sons. Uh, There would be one more son that would be born later on and his name would be Benjamin. But check out these 11 sons, will you? Check out who they are. We've got Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, And lastly, to the favoured wife, Rachel, we've got the younger son, Joseph. Now, apart from Benjamin, therefore, the foundation has been set for the 12 tribes. Not the 12 tribes of Jacob, but as his name would soon be changed to, the 12 tribes of Israel, of Israel. Now, during the week, someone in my Bible study group were looking at this passage. And, and I do say to people in my Bible study group, when we're looking at the same passage, I say, beware that anything you say in Bible study group may, may be held against you in a sermon. <laughs> and uh, someone said, you know, this, this, this vision of the, stair, the staircase, he says, I, I think that's like a, um, you know, you go to a busy railway station or a busy shopping mall and there's the escalator. And you've got all these people going up and, all these people going down and he says, that's what i've envisaged it to be like uh the vision that jacob had and yeah fair enough that's not a bad illustration maybe but jesus himself in john chapter one actually uh, when he first met his disciples and they were pretty impressed with who he was he actually refers back to jacob's dream and i've printed the the verses for you in your outlines there in John chapter 1. He says to them, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven opened and you shall see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Not on a staircase, but rather on me because the the gateway to heaven it's not a place the gateway to heaven is a man and his name is jesus Uh, one clear night abraham was outside and the lord said to him he said abraham look up look up to the heavens do you see the stars count them if you can So too shall be your descendants. And it's here, friends, in this messy, ancient family of his grandson Jacob, that we start to see that promise taking shape in the 12 tribes of Israel. But it's a promise which is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And in Christ's people, in people like you and me, in us. That's where it's pointing towards. Because if we are people who trust in Jesus, if we are people who trust in his death and resurrection as being the way that heaven has been opened up to people like us, If we are people who trust in Jesus, then we are the true descendants of Abraham. People who trust not in a place, but people who trust in a person who is indeed the true gateway to heaven. And so friends, we are the ones who are the recipients of all of God's promises, for all of God's promises find their yes, and there are men in Jesus. And if that is true, then that means that God will never leave us. That God will always watch over us. And that God will indeed bring us home to that land that Jesus has prepared, to that heavenly home if we stay focused on Jesus, if we keep on putting our trust in him, if we, do not dive, if we do not move away from the gospel. And friends, that'll mean recognizing that sometimes in the complexity and in the suffering of life, that God is still at work, at work in us, changing us, molding us, so that we would be people who are more in love with him who are more humble and who are putting our trust wholly in him. So let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we do thank you so much for the promises that you gave to Abraham and these promises to Jacob as well. We pray that we would be people who have got the spiritual insight to see that in all things you are working for the good of those who love you and that you are working through your good plan and purpose, which is found ultimately in Christ. Help us to stay firmly committed to Jesus. Help us not to move to the left or to the right. Help us to be the kind of people that you would have us be. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.